Amen. So good to see you here with us all. Number 90, beginning verse number 1 today. <coughs> Excuse me. It says these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or Ever ye had formed the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, the children of man. A thousand years in your sight are as but a yesterday, when it has passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They or like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening. It fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our seekers' sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. That their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days so that we May get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your word be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. this is the word of the Lord this morning. We're looking here for the next few weeks. and Started a few weeks ago, this idea of priorities. Learning to focus, to think about things that matter, perhaps to eschew or to do away with things that are less important in our lives. And two weeks ago, we attempted to argue that the most important priority we have in life is to worship, to spend time in the presence of God here as we gather on the Lord's Day to worship together, but also at home. It is more important that we spend time in the presence of God than it is that we know what has happened in Washington, than we know what has happened with our favorite sports team, than we know what has happened here or there or whatever. The worship of God should be priority in our life. And in doing that, I tried, of course, to stress the idea that worshiping God sometimes means laying aside other things in our life, things that are good, 
Things that sometimes may even be necessary. They're certainly helpful, but, but they're not the, the most important thing in our life. We have to choose, just as Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, we have to choose this priority of worship. Today we want to look at the idea not of worship, but rather of the idea of time management. Time management. If you've ever looked on Amazon or you ever went to a bookstore and you looked at the productivity or self-help or even business section of a bookstore, you realize that time management is a billion, multi-million, however much it is, it's a big selling category. There are multitudes of books. There are multitudes of podcasts and even classes that you can take to help you to better manage your time, to help people master the clock and become efficient with their time. Of course, all of that is good. It's necessary. It's helpful. And yet, even as we often read about how we can get more and more stuff done, how we can do things more and more efficiently, it seems like in our world that we seem to be getting less and less done all the time, don't it? We feel like we're doing more and more, and yet we're feeling more and more empty. Then, of course, we compound the problem of social media Social media gurus have figured out that they can keep our attention glued on their apps, keep our attention glued on their websites, and and it further compounds this problem that we all seem to be facing in our world. And that is, what do we need to do and how and when do we need to do it in our lives? My guess is that we probably don't know how to get more done. Most of us are probably doing more in our lives than ever, ever before. I was reading an article about how it used to be an all-day or at least a half-day affair to, to go out and wash your clothes, and now something we do, and we do 20 things in between, don't we? I mean, you used to have to take your clothes and scrub them or even go to a river or a creek or wherever to do it and then hang them out to dry and all, all this other stuff. And, and nowadays, I think the longest it takes for me is to pour the detergent into the cap to pour it into the washing machine. We throw the clothes in, we push the button, and an hour later we come back and they're done. Three minutes later, they're in the dryer, they're going... And there we are. See, we can get more done, and yet it feels like there's so much more that we have to do and feel like we never can get everything done that we want to, whether it's wasting time on social media or burning through email. Perhaps the problem is not that we're not getting done what we need to, but rather we're focusing, focusing on things don't matter near as much. It's great that we're doing so much in our jobs, but again, is 
our job the only thing that matters in our world and in our life? It's great that our house is spotless, but it is a matter. Is that the only goal in life to have a spotlessly clean house? To have all the clothes washed to have? All of this stuff done. You see, what is needed is a right perspective. And when we read this psalm, it helps us provide this perspective. And not a perspective, again, about doing more in the days in which we're given in, but rather doing the right thing and understanding how limited our time on earth is. That's what we want to do this morning and think about as we go through this psalm is, is consider the limited number and amount of our days and to ask the question, am I pursuing the things in my life that really, really matter? So how do we do this? We do this, first of all, by considering, considering the eternality, the eternality of God. I hope I'm not making up words as I go throughout the sermon, and if I am, don't judge me, especially you teachers out there. The eternality of God. The fact that the God we serve is an eternal, eternal God should help us refocus our perspective on the time we have on here, on earth. The psalmist begins by starting off with an acknowledgement of the help of God in Israel's history. Verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our refuge, if you would. Maybe your Bible just translates it that way. It's kind of the same word there. You have been our dwelling place, our refuge, our help in all generations. Throughout all the history of the Israelites, throughout all the Exodus, the years of slavery under the Egyptians, God has been there throughout the entire time. And this psalm is being written by Moses. Moses is identified as the author of this psalm. And he realizes and he understands and he states this fact, God, you have been our help and our dwelling place. We pick up again in Genesis. We're going to look at the beginning of the Israelite history in Genesis chapter 12. The the story of Abraham and spend several weeks looking at him, but, but it's amazing to go through his life and to see how God has helped him. How God has been with him. And then, of course, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and then to Joseph and then to the 400 years of Egypt before Moses came on the scene. God has been there. But notice what Moses says about God in verse 2. Says you've been our help in all generations, and before the mountains were brought forth, forever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. A week ago Wednesday, as sitting there flipping through the Disney Channel app or whatever you call their streaming service, there's a commercial or show I should say that was focused on the animals of several different countries and one of them was Uganda and Africa so I clicked on that and the show opens up talking about animals in Uganda and it opens up showing the mountains of Uganda 
all their majesty, the snow-capped mountains before the plane or the helicopter or the camera or whatever it is focused in on the forest and then eventually the silverback gorillas that inhabit that part of the world. Of course, it was a majestic scene as, as you might imagine. But you don't need to travel to Uganda or whatever simply hearing beautiful tones of Ray Charles singing America the Beautiful when he sings, Oh Beautiful. Spacious skies for amber waves of grains for purple mountains. Majesty above the fruited plain. To, to think of, of the writer of that psalm there in Colorado on Pikes Peak on the mountains looking over the majestic, glorious mountains. It is a beautiful scene. The, the hills truly are alive as the sound of music says. Heels are alive. There's something majestic. There's something powerful about them. And yet before you get to that point, before the mountains were ever formed, Moses said God was there. God was working and moving. God was the one who said Everest will be this tall, that Pikes Peak will be this tall, that even our own mountains here in this area will go to this height and will show His glory in such a way. Everlasting to everlasting before the mountains were brought forth or even the world came into existence. God was there. The Hebrew phrase translated from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 2 expresses all time, past, and future. The emphasis in the Hebrew on you are God is better brought out by you are the one who is God. You can say it as you were eternally God at the opening and you will be God forever at the conclusion. Example, you always were God or you were always the God that we worship even before you created the hills in the world and you will always be the God that we worship. He is the everlasting God. Verse 4 says a thousand years are in your sight, but as yesterday when it's past, it's just a, a watch in the night. As quickly as yesterday went and now it's gone and, and you were going to do something yesterday around your house and you didn't now. Now you never have that chance. Think about a thousand years and that's exactly, exactly what it's like with God. Mention America beautiful, but think about the fact that our republic, our country has been in existence for 250 years or less. Less than 250 years, about 250 years. Columbus saw the ocean blue just 500 years ago, right in 1492 as we used to learn in school. And Moses says to God that a thousand years are they're like yesterday to him. It's like a watch in the night. It's like the night. And, and, and perhaps you were like me this morning when the alarm went off. You thought, wait a second. How can those eight hours be up already? As I lay there and said, I don't want to go to church today. Mary said, you got to. You're the pastor. Get up. <laughs> I didn't say that, okay? Don't judge me. We don't grasp this idea of eternality. We don't understand it. 
Most of us, history begins when we set foot on the earth and we don't consider the reality that people have been on earth a long time. Mention if you were in contact the last week to let me know, and I mention it for a reason because we're trying to let people notify of church cancellations and stuff by text message because most of us, that's probably what we have, and we, we probably, very few of us have landlines anymore. It's becoming a thing of the past. And, and I remember when we came here at the church 10 years ago, and in the office there was not only a landline, but there was a corded phone that was attached to the basin. One of my three amigos there said, Dad, what is that? Slap you upside the head, kid. What do you mean, what is that? You know, well, one day he's going to be old and his kid's going to look at him and say, what's an iPhone? What is that ancient thing? We don't understand that there's been a world outside of us and certainly... Certainly when it comes to God, the idea of eternality, of God being forever and ever, boggles our mind. Jesus, and talking to the Jews in John 8, said, the Jews looked at him and said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Jesus, of course, in John 8.58 says, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham is nothing more than a timeline on history. Was here for a brief period of time and he's gone. Isaac and Jacob are gone. Moses is gone. David is gone. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Malachi. Jesus says through all of them, I am the self-existent eternal God. Before anything, there was God. We have to gain this perspective that the God we serve is an eternal, everlasting God. He's not worried about the fact that it takes you more than three seconds to get on a website on your phone. He's not worried about the fact that you prayed a prayer yesterday and the answer hasn't come. Maybe He's abandoned this throne. He is eternal. But it's just not the eternality of God. Secondly, it's also the temporariness. The temporariness of man. The fact that you and I are here for a brief moment of time. Doesn't matter how long you live. It is only temporary. Your life does not, will not last. It will come to an end. Verse 3, Moses says, you return man to dust and you say return. Return, O children of man. Every book I have, every thing I've seen that tells me how to conduct a funeral Almost always has those words in there that says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, they're 80 and yet their span is by toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we, we fly away. It's amazing that these words were written over 3,500 years ago, and yet the average lifespan is what? Almost 80 years in our country. 
And here we are, a few of you look back and say, man, I remember when I was eight, that was a long time ago. Some of you here this morning think I'll never reach 80 years old. And some of us think, wait a second, that's coming up a whole lot faster than what I think it is. It's coming up a lot quicker than what I thought. Life is so temporary, it's so fleeting. It's here today and it's, it's gone so quickly. James said in James 4, verse 14, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Last night we watched a few moments of the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots play football. There in Buffalo, New York, I think it was four degrees and minus seven for the real field temperature or whatever. Maybe a seven and minus four. There's a point where it doesn't really matter, does it? Watching these guys and they're breathing and the, the mist is coming out of their mouth and yet it's gone so quickly. Yes, I'm thinking there's not enough money, there's not good enough seats that I can ever go and do something like that. <laughs> or watch them when it's 70 degrees and I can wear shorts and a t-shirt. The mist is gone, the cold weather that hits your lungs and you breathe out and you exhale and it's gone so, so quickly. You don't, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Psalm 90 verse 5 again, Moses says, You sweep them away as with the flood. They're like a dream. They're like grass that is renewed in the morning. The morning it flourishes, it's renewed, and the evening it fades. Withers. Then last Thursday, not this one, one before, at a board meeting as a church, at a meeting, and in our board meeting we're discussing whether or not we want the lawn care company to take care of our lawn. A little ironic, isn't it? Considering the fact that it's going to snow tonight and it's three degrees out. But this too will pass. Before we know it, it'll be the beauty of the summer, the long days, and it's going to happen all of a sudden. Mower's going to get put up again, and the snowblower is going to get out again. Life goes by so quickly, so fast. Runs by so fleeting, in such a fleeting and fast pace. Velma and I were talking before church, remembering the first time we came here. She said, Yeah, Mary was carrying the youngest child. The youngest child is now 20 foot tall. Won't stop growing. What happened to those days? What happened to those times? We, we consider the fact that God is eternal and our life is temporary. We realize there is only one response to have. That is my third point. Our response to God's eternality and our temporality. The fact that God is eternal we are temporal. The fact that God is forever and we are a quick, fleeting moment in this world. 
What is our response? What do we do? What should should our response to be? There are responses that are recorded in the Bible. Some people say, let's just eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow we're all going to die. Moses gives us a better response in verse 12. He says this, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so that we can get a heart of wisdom. The only thing we can do, the only response we have when we realize God is eternal. We are temporaries for us to fall on our knees and to acknowledge how much we need Him and to plead for a heart of wisdom. Realizing that God has given us one life. And so soon it will be passed. Life moves so quickly, so fast it goes by. It helps you to realize you don't want to waste. You don't want to mismanage. You don't want to take this day that God has given you and waste it on things that do not matter. Verse 12 begins a series of petitions. Found in each verse, the verse is a plea. The psalmist is asking God to make him realize how how short our life is so that we can get a heart of wisdom. The literal translation is to number our days in line. It is to keep an account of the days that we have already lived so that we can be aware of how many are still left. Some say, make us understand that our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. There's a newer book on time management. Out came out last year. It's called 4,000 Weeks. The subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. The author explained that he has named that book such a way because if a person lives to 80 years old, they have about 4,000 weeks of life. He then quotes the Roman philosopher Seneca who states this space that has been granted to us rushes by so speedily and so swiftly that all save a very few find life at an end just when they were getting ready to live. The premise of this book is that instead of rushing to do more and get more done, we should think about things that are worth doing, things that really matter, and focus our efforts and attention on them more than just racing along the productivity hamster wheel, doing more and more and yet getting getting nowhere. And so we ask the question, do do you want to really get to the end of your life and be known as the one who worked way too hard and way too long? Do you want to be known as the the individual who, who spent his days eating dinner with his phone stuck to his ear, answering emails, trying to eke out one more deal and one more call and do one more thing? Couldn't spend time watching your kids' games because you're too busy doing one more thing, getting one more thing done. This is not a challenge for us to quit work and be lazy and give up. No, God has called us as Christians to work and we ought to work hard. 
We ought to do our best. We ought to honor God with excellence in our work. We ought to be known at our workplace as someone who is reliable, trustworthy, and honoring to God in all that we do. This is, this is how we live our lives as Christians. We do our life for the glory of God. Yeah, when the time for work is over, we as Christians need to learn how to quit work and become a husband, a father, a grandfather. We don't spend our time at home doing the same thing we just spent 10 hours at the office doing. Things that are unimportant the moment we are in. I go back to what James said. He said, your life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So what we do is what James tells us to do in verse 15 when he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. We will do this or that. Look at verse 13. You realize James is talking to those who sit there and say, this is what we're going to do. This is our five-year plan. This is our ten-year plan. This, This is where my life is going to be. And perhaps you have done that with your life and you have said, this is what 2022 is going to be in my life. And that is good. And I hope you'll pursue it. fact of the matter is, none of us know what the next 10 days, much less 10 years will be. We need the wisdom of God. We need to be open to what God would want us to do. We need to be open to how God would want us to live. We need to have the wisdom to understand that at this phase in my life, this is what matters. Moses says, give me a heart of wisdom. Help me to to understand where I am. What is the result of this right perspective? What is the result of this right perspective? That's my last point. The result. Result of this right perspective on life. Understanding how Eternity is so long and our life is so short. Helps us to understand we can do nothing. We can do nothing without the help of God. Verse 13, Moses prays for God to turn back to them. He says, return, O Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? Have have pity on your servants. Some have wondered if this is not a contrast to the third verse where Moses realizes God returns man to dust. God takes man who is, who is full of life and he puts him back in the ground. And Moses here is stating that despite that reality, Lord, be with us. Please return and help us. What is this but a realization that we are nothing? We are nothing without God in our lives. Every breath, every day is a gift of God. Every moment you have on earth is a chance to honor and glorify God with your life. Every moment that you have, every day that you have is a new opportunity to realize today is a day that I can live for the glory of God and I need your help, God. 
Again, this is not a call for us to go home and spend the rest of our day reading our Bible and praying. And maybe you need to do that, if you, especially if you haven't done so already. But for a lot of us, it means we go home and, and, and we spend time with our children and we talk to them and we play games with them. For others, it might mean we go home and we sit on a couch and we do nothing for the first day and time in a week. We use today as God intended for a day of rest and recuperation. We understand the world will not end if I'm not constantly grinding away today. Problem is, we can't do this without the help of God. Social media is telling us you've got to be better, you've got to push more, you've got to do more. Phones are notifying us constantly of more and more emails, more and more things that are coming in. We've got to get on our knees and say, Lord, I need Your help. I need You to show me what is wise, what is right, what should I be doing at this stage and aspect of my life. When you do this, you'll find in verse 14, satisfaction. Satisfaction. In God. Verse 14, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy me. Let me, let me be satisfied with nothing more than just knowing the love of God in my life so that I can rejoice, glad all my days. Let me find joy and true satisfaction in you, not in the pursuit of lesser things, not in the pursuit of good and worthwhile things, but in pursuit of only the things that last. Apostle Paul said, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. First Timothy 6, verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this desire for money, that some wander from the faith. They pierce themselves with many pains. It's not that God condemns us for having riches, but, but wanting the riches, pursuing the riches, making that the source of your satisfaction that leads to trouble. You go back and you look at the context of that verse. Verse 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire, who want to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those who want to be rich will cut corners, will compromise, will promise on a campaign trail that they'll do one thing They'll go to Washington, D.C. and they'll do the exact opposite. Those who understand that God has given us a brief moment in time understand that they are taking none of it with them. So what do we do? Verse 17, Paul tells us, he says, as for the rich in this age, if God blesses you with money, if He blesses you financially, charge them not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on that. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. It's going to be gone quickly. Set your hope on God who provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't it a whole lot better to be satisfied 
is satisfied. Didn't the Proverbs say it's just a morsel of bread and to have good friends gathered around your house than it is to sit there at a four, five course meal and be eating all by yourself? Set your hope on God. Be satisfied with His love. Set your hope on God who gives you so many things. Verse 18, he says, do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to store and store up for yourselves treasure for you. Treasure that will not pass away because my hope is in God. I enjoy what he's given me. Enjoy the blessings of God. God has blessed me to to have something nice. I, I, I don't take it for granted. I don't think this is the one thing that's going to fix everything that's wrong in my life. Enjoy it as a blessing of God. Realize God has given it to me. Satisfied in Christ and in Him alone. Pray for His nearness. We pray for His help. We find satisfaction in Him. Verse 16, we see His mighty hand. We see His mighty hand in our lives. Psalm 90, verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. The fact that I am here today is a gift from God, is a result of the favor of God, power of God that has kept me this day. We pray let the favor of our God be upon us. Verse 17, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. The objective today is not for you to, to learn how to maximize your day. Although some of us probably need to learn that. Confess if I'm not careful, I'll be looking up a song for church so that we can sing, so that it can fit along with the message. And, and I find that song on YouTube and I'm singing it. Next thing I know, there's a clip from my favorite preacher and I got to watch that. And then there's a clip from a politician. I got to watch that. And then all of a sudden there's 12 tips on how to Next thing I know, it's like, oh, wait, I just spent three hours on YouTube. Sometimes we need to learn efficiency in our work, efficiency in our day. But more importantly, we need to realize that where we are in life, God has given us this time. And we need to take full advantage of it. Many times when you come to our house, the front door there, a pile of shoes laying there by the front door. I'm not going to tell you how many of them are mine. You don't need to know. Sometimes it's been one of those days. They've come home from school. They've rushed off to work. They've done this. They've done that. At the end of the day, here we are with all these different piles of shoes. Yes, we try to teach responsibility. And yes, my boys are responsible. To, they put them up for the most part. Sometimes sooner than I do. At the same time, there's a blessing and understanding. At least for now, there's three kids that will throw their shoes by the front door. One day there won't be any piles of shoes. It'll just be Mary and I. Realize the blessing that God has given us in today. And again, I'm not saying that we don't teach them to be irresponsible. No, they're... they're on the verge of launching out on their own, they better have some responsibility. I hope so. 
realize how fleeting the moments in life are. You can't help but see it. I saw it here at the barber shop that's right down the road there. Where I saw a, a lady and her child and they're out waiting for the child to go get a haircut and they're waiting outside because it's a nice day and, and the child is playing and the lady is staring down at her phone not almost oblivious to the fact that her son is there. I mean, I'm sure she's watching him. I'm sure she's making sure he doesn't run out on Broadway, but that kind of struck me. That's kind of the way too many of us are living our life, aren't we? We're staring down at this phone. Our kids are growing up right in front of our eyes and we're missing it. We need to know where we are. We need to know what God has given us. We need to realize that as we contemplate, and again, you guys are here, so it probably doesn't fit, but as we contemplate the fact that it's three degrees outside and it's so much easier to put on a robe and drink another cup of coffee and stay inside where it's warm. We need to realize that there are brothers and sisters who have met today that have lost their life because they have met together. God has blessed us where we can build a big church, build it tax-free and have all of this nice stuff and probably even have townspeople come out and celebrate and be a part of it in this country. And yet we don't want to gather together because it's cold and it's inconvenient. Maybe that's hypocritical coming on the back of a snowstorm, an ice storm or whatever we had last week. But we realize that God has blessed us so we come and we worship and we gather we understand that God has given us life and there's times when people are shut in and they're unable to gather and we, we come and, and we sing the songs because this too will pass and will pass so quickly so quickly and so my challenge to you this morning is this God has given you this day. God has given you this time in your life. God has given you this moment. Number your days. Number your days. Realize that however many more days you have, they're going to be gone quickly. Going to be gone quickly. Do you want to look back and say, I wish I had taken advantage. I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Let's not do that. I mean, let's pray this morning, shall we? I mean, Lord, help us. Help me, I pray. God, I think of individuals in my life that I had the chance to help to make a difference in. I thought, no, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow never came. Lord, I think of things I wish I would have done and never got to do them. Think of plans that I wish I would have acted upon and I never did. 
Lord, help me not to find satisfaction or contentment and status updates or popularity or fame or prestige. Help me to find it. The blessings of this life. The blessings of my friends, my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. The blessings of being my family and my children. Lord, help me when I come to the office tomorrow to apply myself to study diligently, spend that time in conversation with whoever I need to tomorrow. God, help me not to miss the other aspects of my life that are there. To miss a birthday, to miss an anniversary, to miss a basketball game or a school play or whatever else it might be. Give me a heart of wisdom. Help me to know what to do with the day you have given me. Never again in my life will I ever see January 16, 2022. Help me to take advantage, I pray. Help me to see it, I ask. Do it for all of us. Help us to find satisfaction and contentment in you. Let your favor rest upon us, we pray. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It has occurred to me today, and we're going to close with the song, but just to share something a little personal here. <laughs> just thought of it as we were praying. Today is my, my youngest brother's birthday. He is 40, 41, I think. He was at my wife and I's wedding 23 years ago. He has four children that are around the age of our boys. Some of them are older. He's seen very little of them because he spent most of his life locked up behind bars. He's in Oklahoma now. Going to get out in a couple of years. His sons probably wouldn't recognize him if he walked by or walked in here this morning. What a way to, to live your life. What a way to, to spend your life. My brother is such a talented kid. He was such a talented young man. You could really see God's hand upon him. It's gone. And I know, at least I better know, none of you guys are going to go out and do some of the dumb things he did. At least you better not or I'll chase you down. I don't know what I'll do when I catch you, but... I think, let us not live our life that way. Even if we're out here on the street, let us not live our life and say, where did it all go? Where has it all gone? Let us resolve today to live our life for the glory of God each and every day that He gives us. Amen. Let's stand. Let's finish with this song as we finish our time here this morning. Mm -hmm.